This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. I'll tell you the truth. Part of the reason I thought of doing a mini-season of episodes from our archive is because sometimes listeners tweet at me asking slash telling me to have people on that I've already had on. Of this subset of comedians, Tignataro was the most frequent request. This is not to shame those nice people, but just to say, I get it. I'd love to have Tignataro on if I could, and well, in our first season, I could. So I did. That's because I truly believe Tignataro is one of the greatest comedians Period. That's it. Full stop. You know, I I think a lot about what it means for someone to be one of the best stand-ups or the best stand-up at a given time. You know, you you can't just say the person who makes the most people laugh, as there are a lot of hacks who play basketball arenas. And, you know, broad appeal is not necessarily what it means to be good. For me, you know, I try to think of who's both the most self-inspired and themselves and also has the best ability to articulate that point of view. Tig can do everything a stand-up can, but she does it in her way. Her work can be personal or silly or both at the same time, her pacing, legendary, and she pushes boundaries. Not the boundaries that get talked about a lot in comedy in terms of language and taste, but the bounds of what is possible with the form. You know, I I loved this interview as it was a, a first of a type of interview that we do on the podcast. You know, you know, sometimes people pick jokes that feel like a culmination of their work. You know, sometimes people pick jokes that are seen as classic. Some pick an early joke that provided a roadmap. And sometimes, like in this case, the joke represents a breakthrough. The breakthrough is artistic, but it's also, for those who are doing it right and giving themselves to their work, deeply personal. For Tig, that joke was her massive story about meeting singer Taylor Dane over and over again which she performed in a variety of places, including the version we'll be playing from her 2011 album, Good One, No Relation. It it blends storytelling, joke writing, with an anti-comedian sense of repetition as play. And it paved the way for a lot of what she did afterwards as she went through an unbelievably trying stretch of life. Tig became the comedian she is because of this joke, and that comedian is one of the best to ever do it. So, here is Tig Notaro. I was, uh, was at this party with this friend of mine, Pam, and, um, and we were going to leave the party, and she said to me, do you know who that was standing by the door? I said, no. And she said, that was Taylor Dane. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. I love Taylor Dane. I don't know. Do you guys know who Taylor Dane is? Yeah. Yeah, she was a... No, you're shaking your head, no. <laughs> she was in 80s. She was a pop singer in the 80s and 90s. Um, she sang Love Will Lead You Back. Uh, she sang uh, Tell It To My Heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now you're nodding your head. I'll sing it. I'll sing it for you. <clears throat> I know, I just said I was going to sing In in fact, (laughs) that was my idea. (laughs) And at this point, all you're doing is holding up the process, because I'm like, I'm going to sing it, and you're like, sing it! (laughs) And then I'm like, yeah, I know, I said I was going to sing it. (laughs) 
So if you don't mind, I'm going to sing it. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Anyway, I love Taylor Dane. And not ironically. I love her. So I went back into the party. And I went up to her. And I said, Excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you. But I just have to tell you. I love your voice. And she just turned and said, Yeah, I don't do that anymore. And I looked over, and this other friend of mine was doubled over laughing at me. She was like, yeah, you just got dissed by Taylor Dane. It felt horrible. So I left the party. Then like nine months passed, and I happened to be out to eat with that same friend of mine, Pam. There was a party of ten that was seated right behind us. You guys are not going to believe who was sitting there. Yeah, it was Taylor Dane. It's exactly who it was. Pam said, oh my gosh, you have to say something to her. And I said, no question. Because I still love Taylor Dane. But I didn't know what to say to her. And then I realized the best thing that I could say to Taylor Dane would be the exact same sentence that I said to her the first time. So I turned around and I interrupted her entire dinner. And I said, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you, but I just have to tell you, I love your voice. And she said, my speaking voice? And I said, yes. I was sitting here with my friend. I heard someone talking behind me. I said, I need to turn around and compliment this person on their speaking voice. And what I didn't realize at the time was that Taylor Dane was no longer pursuing a singing career. She was pursuing an acting career, which I guess is why she was no longer accepting compliments on her singing voice. (laughs) And then about a year passed. And at this point, I've told all of my friends about my run-ins with Taylor Dane (laughs) and how she's the easiest person in the world to run into. (laughs) So I was at my writing partner, Kyle's house, and my phone rang, and it was Sarah Silverman. And at the time... Sarah was dating Jimmy Kimmel. Sarah called and said, guess who's promoting a CD on Jimmy's show tomorrow night? (laughs) You guys will not believe who it was. Hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it was Taylor Dan. So Sarah called and <laughs> said, I want you to come down to Jimmy's show tomorrow night. And I want you to say those exact same words that you said the other times. And I said, no question. But I didn't end up having to go to Jimmy's show the next night. Because that same day, don't shake your head at me. That same day that Sarah called me at Kyle's house, Kyle and I took a lunch break and we ordered lunch to be picked up. We walked across the street <laughs> to the strip mall where the restaurant was. Kyle was walking in front of me. I was walking behind him. He walked up to the restaurant. He opened the door. <laughs> he looked at this table. Then he looked back at me. Then he looked back at the table. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course she's here. <laughs> then Kyle and I walked over to the counter where our food was going to be waiting for us. And I was just pacing back and forth about to have a stroke. And I was like, what is your problem? And he said, nothing. I'm just really uncomfortable right now. And I said, Why? And he said, because I know what's about to happen. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And I can't wait to do it. I said, this has nothing to do with you. I said, this is between me and Taylor Dane. I said, but what I do need you to do, when I go up to her lunch table... I want you to just take my cell phone and just point it in the general vicinity. Just, just videotape me talking to Taylor Dane. So I finally have proof. And he was like, okay. So I walked up to Taylor Dane's lunch table. And I said, excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you. But I just have to tell you, I love your voice. And she said, thank you. <laughs> and I was like, that was weird. But the best part was when Kyle and I went back and looked at that video footage, you didn't hear me talking to Taylor Dane. You just saw me go, And then over that footage, you hear Kyle in an imaginary conversation going, oh, hey, hey, man, what's going on? I'm having lunch at the chicken cafe, at the pizza, ca at the California chicken kitchen pizza kitchen cafe. So the person that Kyle made up in that conversation was the world's most difficult human being 
that will not let the easy stuff slide. The person on the other half of that conversation is going, whoa, 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 back up, dude. Where are you having lunch? At the chicken what cafe? Nah, man, I've never heard of that place. This conversation is going no further until you make it clear to me where exactly you're having lunch right now. Kyle could have made up anybody he wanted to. He could have made up a nice friend. It was all up to him. He actually didn't have to be saying anything at all. He could have just been standing there. And, just... and I actually feel confident that I'm the reason that Taylor Dane ended up putting out another record. Because you know she called her manager and was like, my fans miss me. They love me. I mean, sure, they're a bunch of he-she-looking robots. Excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you, but I just have to tell you. I love your voice. Excuse me. Sorry to bother you, but I just have to tell you. I love your voice. Excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you. And people are always like, there is no way that story is true. And it's like, why would I make up a 14-minute story about a pop singer that nobody's heard of? And just as a side note, I left out other times that I ran into Taylor Dan. <laughs> and that Sarah has, too. I mean, like, that story used to be 20 minutes long. Just because she and I keep running into Taylor Dan. So I'm here with the, the person who just told that, that joke, Tig Nataro. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for being in my house. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. You joke about it a little uh, on the record, especially, but uh, in terms of understanding how the story is built, I want to start just on the most basic level of how true is it, and how how much is the, you know, how much are you trying to play with intentionally the the like an audience's incredulousness to how true it is. Well, it's completely true. <laughs> it's even more true than I reveal because there were other times that I ran into her yeah. that I cut out because it seemed so insane. And when I was originally kind of sculpting the bit, it was around a half hour. I ha I didn't even know where to begin, but I just knew that when I told people about my run-ins with Taylor Dane, it seemed like just off stage, something people were so amused by. And that's that thing with stand up where I know for myself, I've had to try to become more aware of what is amusing people when I'm just talking. Not mm. that I'm trying bits out on people, but to kind of work on that extra sense of, oh, this is a story that people seem to like so yeah. maybe I'll try it on stage and that was one 
And it just was so long <laughs> that I had to whittle it down to 15 minutes. Yeah, because the if it was longer, the more true it is, the less true it would seem. Well, and I used to add another run-in. Part of the story was uh, I was kind of originally trying to make it this series of run-ins with celebrities that are rude to me and that I run into over mm -hmm. and over. And so there was another celebrity added to that. And it ultimately just felt like two different stories yeah. and I had to separate them. Yeah, because that is a different, I mean, tonally, that'd be a different story. Where yeah. There's like an evenness to this where it's not even seeming like a take like a takedown of taylor dane it just seems like no it's not at all and that's what when people come up to me after shows sometimes i mean i haven't done that story in a, in a long time but people would every now and then be like man like what a bitch or <laughs> yeah. and i'd be like no that, that I, i'm not telling this story yeah. to to uh, shine like a negative light on this person. It's more so, it became a scientific experiment to yeah. me. I just wanted to contextualize a little bit. So it was first kind of recorded on your album, Good One, in, in 2011. But just timeline-wise, when was like the first time maybe you ran into her? When was that last time? And around, the, around what year were you then starting to do it on stage? The first time I ran into her was... I guess maybe in 1999, that was with my friend Pam. And are you asking the last time that I mentioned in the story or the last time in my... I guess the last time you mentioned in the story. Okay. Um, so the Jimmy Kimmel time, well, though it wasn't the Jimmy Kimmel time, the, the chicken cafe time. Okay, yep. When I was with Kyle, I would say that time was probably 2007. Cool. And then, so then when did you start doing this as a thing on stage? Maybe 2009. Yeah. Something like that, 2010. And then, so what, so it was just that you were talking about it with other people and you're like, I think there's enough here for me to... Yeah, I. I it was also... It, I had never told anything that long. Yeah. And it just was kind of a, a challenge as well to see. And for a long time, I really could not. I always say I couldn't get the contraption off the ground. It was a real struggle. How would you describe the rest of your material at that time? And so, and then what was it that made you feel like it's time to challenge yourself? Because you were probably doing stand-up around over about 10 years at that point. I guess so. Yeah. Something like that. I guess my material was a mix between one-liners and some crowd work and bits or stories that were probably no longer than three and a half minutes, something yeah. like that. But I could feel myself getting more and more interested in longer form storytelling and jokes. And um, a lot of those story jokes were really filled with a lot of jokes. Yeah. Whereas Taylor Dane, I, I didn't really have any plan other than <laughs> I, I'm so curious if I can build some sort of frame and structure mm -hmm. here. And like I said, it really took a long time. I, I think it probably not bombed, but was one of my weaker bits that I was just determined to work out for probably six months. 
So what did you, when you first started doing it, what did you have other than, did you have like an outline of like, you know, what is your kind of basic writing process for something like this? Um, I do everything on stage. I, I really just jot down a word as a reminder when I go on stage, you know, Taylor Dane is what I go on stage with is just written down on a napkin. And then I really rely on the fight or flight type sink or swim Mm -hmm. on stage. And I, I feel like that fear on, you know, in front of a live audience really forces my brain to come up with something. Uh, I possibly would be a lot better at stand up if I actually sat down and wrote things out. But I think it's the, um, the side of me that didn't like school that I don't want to sit down and, you know, work anything out that, uh, perfectly I, I i like to just do it on the spot so as we've mentioned it started out as like a half an hour and then eventually essentially been sculpted down to 14 a very awkward and funny half hour <laughs> i mean but it, it's interesting because i think i think a lot of people write or think of stand-up as some it starts with one thing and then people build out on it what is the process of sculpting a thing down or just you're just telling it and then you're just hearing things that work well, it's just a process of yeah, editing. You you just you notice that nobody's responding to this line or this chunk ever. This never gets a response. And then it's you go back and think, okay, even if they're not laughing at it, is it part of setting up the story and it's necessary? And if it is, then you keep it, and if it's not, then it's it you just get rid of it and then there's it, it's really funny because there are parts of stories that I can't believe I used to keep in there or jokes where I thought, what in my brain made me think I needed that line? It's so not necessary to the story. And it's really interesting having a TV show now and, and um, writing not just an episode, but a, a season, everything needs to be in there for a reason to move the story forward. And it's the exact same thing with mm-hmm. the format of a story on stage or joke. It's, you just have to cut the fat. Do you remember what, when it started working a little bit, what was, what was the first glimmer that this might have legs? It was when I first said, um, and guess you'll never believe yeah. who it was. It, that was the big turning point for the story because I feel like that line was in response to an audience being bored. Yeah. You know, I was just in, essentially making fun of myself in the story of like, I know, here we go again, but it's, it's true. She was there. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like even now when I'm on stage and I'm not telling the Taylor Dane story, if there's a hint of inflection or a word from that story, people get so triggered. I'll be like, and you are not going to believe. <laughs> and then people, I'll hear like a rush yeah. of laughter and I'm like, oh, they're, they think I'm calling back that or, um, 
Yeah, any any sort of natural thing that you might do, yeah. they now think it's like your catchphrase. Uh, yeah, that it's that it's the Taylor Dane story coming into some other story. Yeah, because I mean, what it, that move does is it then makes the joke, "I'm telling you this story." Yeah, not just that it's happening. It's yeah. like I'm a person telling you this. Story. Yeah, yeah. And so then you start reframing it as, "It's funny. The story is exists, and I'm doing it." Now. Right, and it was. It just became such a a fun line to to build upon to you know because if i was unaware in the telling that i was telling it again <laughs> that a, a run in was happening yeah it seemed kind of like an unawareness whereas the and guess what like i'm i'm with you. we're yeah, yeah. together and here we go one of the things I think you do so well in this story is really amazing at is its pacing and timing of it. And I'm mean, obviously you're working out on stage, but how deliberate are you not only of the words, but of how basically the rhythm of how you're speaking or the timing you're speaking or how fast you're saying certain things? I have no awareness of that until people ask me. Oh, um, yeah, it's not a calculated decision where I think, okay, I'm going to slow down here. I'm going to really take a beat on this word. Or uh, I feel very much like uh, there's a weird dance with the audience. And yeah, it's a natural rhythm that you have. For sure. For sure. And it's different rhythms on different stories or moments. And I have no, I have no idea. I mean, I can't even imagine being that aware yeah. of how I would pace out information or. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, I've heard that George Carlin would like put spaces into one because he'd write everything out and put spaces in it. And it seems like that is now not, no comedian would work that way. But I wondered how, if you had a sense of how that worked naturally, but it seems like. You and got, where would, how would he decide? I, I just heard that. Amazing, I guess he like had a rhythm, what it should be like. He'd write sentences and he'd be like, space, say it. That is the opposite of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is, I always tell people there's, you'll never find the lost writings of <laughs> Tig Notaro. I mean, much less my pacing yeah. <laughs> in a little, you know, parentheses. So for the most part, I've I've heard a few times of it, and you it's pretty accurate each time. The only difference is that you one time did it on I think like Conan had a, like a web series that Pete Holmes was hosting where you did the story, and you just couldn't remember what happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm completely blanking on what happens next in this story that I've told a few times. So Taylor Dane says, wait, guys, I'm blinking. This is hilarious. You guys are thinking this is a joke, but it's not. <laughs> You're like, wow, you've already built an awkward situation. <laughs> so certainly this is part of the bit. It's not. <laughs> this is me taping something and realizing I'm forgetting my story. <laughs> then you guys are like, oh my gosh, this is horrifying. Then the people from Conan are watching this on monitors going, this is really horrifying. <laughs> We've paid you and we took a, <laughs> we had a limo take you here to forget your story. 
I was out to eat with that same friend of mine, Pam. <laughs> What's funny is this really happened to me. I'm not making this up. They told me, go as long as you need to tell this story. This is way longer than they were expecting. <laughs> yeah, this is awkward, I know. I don't know what to do. Who was right? Do you remember how that happened or why that happened? I do. Um, I, that Conan appearance was right in the middle of, I was, I was days away from finding out I had cancer. And so I was just newly out of the hospital, just newly burying my mother. And that day my girlfriend and I broke up and I was still very ill. And I went on stage to tell this story that I had told a million times and that was completely factual and my brain just went away on stage because I had so much on my mind yeah. that I really it was really a leaving my body moment yeah. and and on stage thinking these people think this is part of the bit and I really didn't know what I was going to do and I remember when I after working it out on stage and the audience, I lost them for a bit. And yeah. then the more I made fun of myself for forgetting it, they came back. And when I got off stage, the producer came up and was, Hey, he said, listen, cause I said, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm like really in a weird space. And I, I forgot the story. And, and he was like, no problem. We'll, we can just edit all of that out. And I was like, you know what? And I and it was part of where I was in life of mm -hmm. like, nothing matters <laughs> yeah. in an inspiring, exciting way because I had lost everything. Mm -hmm. And also in this rock bottom way of like, you have come face to face with somebody that does not <laughs> care. And I said, don't edit it. <laughs> Please leave it in. Yeah. Because I just, I also... I knew for myself it would excite me to see another comedian struggle like that. For so long. It's like two minutes. Oh, on. yeah. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, <you had> lived <laughs> and it. it was longer. And they did edit oh, some that of that part. out. Just, yeah, it was, a, it was, I, I remember just being like, come on, brain, what happens next? And I couldn't. It was interesting because you then double back to. The, essentially the part you just were and yeah. that part felt the weirdest that yeah. you'd like yeah. start from even and then you got back into it but it was amazing i i've seen a lot of comedy i've never seen yeah i was i really was at a loss and i also i remember just sitting there in my green room just being like please put that out there please yeah. put that out there because i want people to see me gasping for air the, the, you know, the joke's main line, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you. That was what you said in real life? Yes. I mean, I guess when you're telling a story, you have to say it that way, right? I, I was about well, I mean, the first time in real life that I saw her, it was just a very authentic, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I felt bad interrupting her, her conversation. But we were at such a small, intimate party yeah. of maybe 30 people. I remember Avril Lavigne was there as well, <laughs> but um, 
you know, when my friend Pam was like, that's Taylor Dane, I so genuinely loved her yeah, and genuinely wanted to give her a compliment. But I didn't want to be rude and I didn't want to be long. I just wanted to say, hey, yeah. you're great. <laughs> and so just my, um, oh, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. I just wanted to say I, I love your voice. And then bolt. Yeah. And it was really, I was so new to Los Angeles at the time. Yeah. And so that sort of um, dismissive personality. Yeah. Or moment of like, yeah, whatever was, uh, it was, it was so fresh <laughs> where I, I was confused. So the, the kind of, it all builds in a really interesting way because there, there's a certain sort of like groove the story gets into. Uh -huh. And then there's like essentially a pretty big finish where there's both, it builds to like, Taylor Dane calling her age, her manager to be like, all oh, my fans are he, she robots. And then you do the robot. Then there's also the joke about how people think you're lying. And then also that you've seen Taylor Dane, all those, it's like a lot of laughing for like a, a pretty neutrally, you know, you get laughs throughout, but how, how did that come about? Was that, you know, that especially such a big, exciting finish. Well, it's so funny because I forgot about that part of the bit <laughs> oh, the he she robot oh, yeah. part um and you act out you act it out it's yeah. like actually kind of yeah funny to see in retrospect because it is such a story and then it, it turns into <laughs> like a robot physical um robot bit so uh, how did you do you remember the process of like how do i end this thing because i think many parts of story is hard but i think probably figuring out how to end it in a satisfying way i think it just um I don't think any of those parts necessary culminated at the same time. I think it was adding on and adding on because I did subtract after the 30 minute terrible bit was complete <laughs> down to 15 or 12 or whatever. And then I think I eventually built it back up. Yeah. To those little <laughs> moments. And it's, if you, threaten my life right now and ask me to do the Taylor Dane story, I would not be able to. Oh, really? I could tell you in general about my run-ins with her, mm -hmm. but with it leading up to the <laughs> robot bit, I I was like, whoa, I completely forgot. Um, so yeah, I think it's just over time and doing the yeah. story. Yeah, especially the last two parts just feel natural to like, it, I imagine you had the robot ending and then it, it ends up, then it goes back down to be like, you guys think I made that up. I didn't make it up. And then, then you go, also, I ran into Taylor Dane like tons more times. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and, and what are you, are you saying like in whatever, I can't even remember what, I don't know what story <laughs> you're telling, but which version of it, but was it, do I tell how I talk about us going on tour together, me and no. Taylor Dane? No. Oh, okay. I have not. Cause that's it. another, uh, part that I went into was, you know, her representative calling mine about it. And then I go into this thing of what am I, what are we going to do? Go on tour together? You know, the TNT, yeah. uh, back to back. Yeah. Um, Taylor Dane. And then I, there's also another version of when I ran into Taylor Dane, we, she gave me her number 
And then I was diagnosed with cancer and mm-hmm. she texted me. Is this in any of the versions? No, you okay. don't tell this on stage. I think I saw that story, but that's not even. It's, oh, okay. It's funny yeah. that now you, you're real life Taylor Dane. You can't remember what you've removed out of it. I, well, there's so many different versions and there's so many times I've run into her that um, there's so many different endings. Yeah. It's like pick your own adventure kind of ending because after I had cancer, she said, you know, she texted me. She, I, I, she did my um, mm-hmm. Professor Blastoff podcast, and after that, she said, here's my number. And then she had heard I had cancer, and then she texted me and said, if you need anything or want to talk, contact me. And then I did this whole other ending where I imitate me lying in bed with cancer in the hospital, not able to sleep. Who am I going to call? <laughs> I reach out. To Taylor Dane, of all people, the person that will not talk to me every other time in my life. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's like, how did I, it, yeah. one ending, I'm a robot, one ending, I'm I'm talking to Taylor Dane yeah. while I'm in ca- having cancer. <laughs> um, so many different uh, variations. Yeah. Uh, we'll be right back with more Tignataro after this word from our sponsor. I'm back with Tignataro. So, as we mentioned before, this bit came at a time where you're you're doing a lot of like four minute things. What did working on it and then pulling it off? What did you learn from that? How did that then influence the work that you did afterwards? Well, I remember I really struggled with. Gosh, this isn't really my style to go on stage and do fifteen, or certainly not thirty minute stories, but. Um, when I was able to pull it off and it kind of became a signature bit for me, it was just that example of not telling yourself no Mm -hmm. when you have an interest in going outside of what you think of yourself or what others do and taking a chance or a risk and allowing myself to do whatever I want because I started to realize that whether I was doing a one-liner or a celebrity story or talking about having cancer, it was, my voice is going to be in any of that. And I'm only going to be hurting myself by saying, no, you shouldn't do that. That's not your stage persona. That's not your typical style. And so that actual bit I think really was a turning point for me to go, I'm going to do whatever I want because I just proved to myself that I could do something that I had not done in a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then, you know, each then hour you have these things that are like, seem like you're being like, I'm going to do this because I now do things right. It's like the, when you, you took your shirt off in the last one or the Indigo girls bit seem like though they're completely different Mm -hmm. things. They're similar in the, I'm going to do, I'm Ting Taro, I'm going to do my, whatever my comedy is, yeah. and whatever I think works. Yeah, for uh, sure. I mean, those are both, hu- like, yeah, they're saying I have cancer, taking my shirt off, bringing the Indigo Girls out on stage to do a concert in the middle of my concert. It's like, why would I not do whatever I wanted to do? Yeah. If something amuses me, why not see if it will amuse somebody else? And I and every time I took one of those risks, it I feel like 
made me grow and made me better. I'd love you for you to walk me through kind of the This American Life performance of it felt like very seminal in both what the time it happened and then what happened afterwards. What do you think about that that specific day? How do you think of that day now when the This American Life performance of Taylor Dane happened? Right, because there's like a vortex of a lot of these different things. It was right before your cancer diagnosis, but you just got out of the hospital. Yeah. And your mom just passed away. Yeah. And then this This American Life thing happened and it was a huge success. Yeah. And then that kind of led to other This American Life things. And then also, obviously, then everything. Well, so- when Ira Glass had seen, because I had told him that I, I thought that this story would be good on the show and he felt like it'd be after he saw it live, he was like, you know, I, I love the story, but I feel like it, it's best live because there's so much to your face expressions and the act out with Kyle. And, you know, from listening to comedy records as a kid, I felt like, you know, I, I and, and storytelling records I, I had as a kid, I didn't need to see what was happening. My brain, I knew, would make up whatever was needed. Mm-hmm. And I knew people would make up in their own heads what I was doing or what they thought I was doing, whether they're right or wrong. Your brain makes it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and he said, "Well, we'll see how it goes. Um, and then if it if I feel like it will translate, then I will move it to the mm. radio show." And yeah, I was I was really um, not in a good place. And I was standing backstage just thinking, I need this to go so well. I need it to be so off the charts. I'm, I, I need this so desperately. And usually when you need something and want something that desperately, it just doesn't go well. And that bit did <laughs> go well. And I, I got off stage and Ira just came running up to me and he was like, I think that's the best segment I've ever produced in my career. And I was like, really? Act two, Groundhog Dane. I had the experience a couple of years ago that a friend of mine became roommates with Bobby Kennedy's daughter, one of his daughters. And she's like, do you want to meet her? You know, do you want to meet her? She's really nice. And I was like, we're not supposed to meet the Kennedys. Like, the Kennedys, that is too famous for us to meet. Like, that's too famous for a normal person to meet. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, the super famous are over there, and we are over here in our world, and we're not supposed to run into Angelina Jolie at the CVS, you know? And, 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 but, you know, sometimes the iconic, the famous, the stars that we remember from when we were younger, like, they, they leave their magical, invisible world and actually tread in our world. And this was re- witnessed recently by comedian Tig Notaro. Welcome her. So I live in Los Angeles, and I went to this party with my friend Pam. And we were going to leave the party, and she said to me, do you know who that was standing by the door? I said, no. She said, that was Taylor Dane. <laughs> Do you know who Taylor Dane is? No? She's a oh, my God. It was just like, 
it was what I needed. And then he said, you know, how dare you tell me how radio works, but I think you're right. I think it's going to be great on the, on the show. And so they moved it to radio and it, it was, it was really kind of explosive. He called me two days, I think after it aired and said, we want something from you right now for the show. (laughs) And I was like, I just got diagnosed with cancer. (laughs) You know, I'm just, I'm not in any place to be doing anything. And he was like, you should, you should do a show about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're insane. (laughs) You know, can't I just like, here you have the Taylor Dane bit. Let me go away and have cancer now. (laughs) Because I didn't know I had it when I was on stage, uh, for the, this American life performance. And, um, I remember there were already articles and interviews I was doing because of the This American Life segment where people were thinking I was having a breakout moment and little did anyone know, uh, you know, I had book deals coming from even that This American Life uh, performance and high profile interview requests and, and then boom, cancer diagnosis. And I was like, well, (laughs) there goes that. And then, you know, obviously that didn't go away. Yeah. (laughs) That sound means it's time for the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's laughing round. Uh, If you could be any comedian for a night, essentially Quantum Leap style, get into their body and be able to perform as them, but still do their material. So who anytime anyone ever and at any time who would it be maria bamford hands down (laughs) based on this story it seems like you don't have a joke that's like this because this might have been it but i like to know if there's a a joke that you really believe in that never works and you will constantly believe it is very funny yeah (laughs) what is it Well, I I take that back. I can't. Years later, I don't think it's funny, but I thought it was funny. And you know, Ad Miles, the yeah. Tonight Show showrunner, who was a stand-up, I guess might still consider himself to be. He used to request this bit of mine solely to watch me bomb on stage. It is so dumb. I thought it was funny that they say that. The camera adds 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then why aren't there blobs, just 10 pound blobs of mass appearing in empty spaces in photos? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it would it add 10 pounds to everything. Yeah. So like just to air, there should just be a 10 pound blob of fat that just is... It's so dumb, and it. But it's true. It's like if if the camera adds that, there should just be just pounds, pounds in the just air, ten pounds of blob everywhere in every picture, <laughs> and just silence except for Miles laughing at me. Um, that's okay. the end of the interview. So, do I do a, an official goodbye, or is this it? No, that's it. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, we'll just tail it off and then i'm like that's the end of can the we show. keep this part in <laughs> if you want to i would love to <laughs> this, is your favorite this feels part. like the official goodbye so this will be the official goodbye this whole little yeah, area we'll just keep this... on talking until okay. you put them right down and then that will did be... you think my kids were cute yeah yeah <laughs> real cute? Really cute yeah i wanted that in the goodbye too. yeah i liked uh 
how they look similarly and different. Very similar and different, but 100% cute. <laughs> and they're 10-pound blobs. <laughs> yeah. Well, 20-pound, but... Well, thanks for coming over. Oh, thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for another episode of Good One. Follow Tig on Instagram at TheRealFluffNotaro. It's technically her cat's Instagram, but she's on it a lot. Good One is produced by me and Mike Comte. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write, review, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.